Class is in session. The gang enjoys a nice breakfast. Argo takes the blame, while a fearbulk struggles to keep it together. A friendly game goes off the rails. Fitzroy makes a new friend. Literally. We listened to episode two of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talkin' Taz with Lauren and PJ, the weekly show where we deep dive into the latest episode of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you, as always, is me, PJ, and my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello. Let's just jump right into it this week. Uh, What did you think of this episode? I really liked that we were able to spend some more time with the boys one-on-one, where they kind of got separated, so we got to see more of their individual skill sets, which was super cool. Yeah, which I think is going to come naturally as we're going through the podcast, right? The first episode was just so much lore and backstory and meat that now that we're getting to really explore the main characters, it's a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. So we start this episode off as light comes through the window of the dorm room of our three main characters and begins to wake the group as Argo feels something rub against his mustache, to which Travis has Argo roll stealth. Argo rolls very well, a 15 plus 3, leading to a 23. A dirty, dirty 23. Yes, Justin yells at him that that's not a 23, and they argue for a moment before Travis agrees, and says it is what Brennan Lee Mulligan would call a dirty 23, which I love the Brennan shout-out. Everyone watch Dimension 20. Yeah, there we go. First first Brennan shout-out of the podcast. With his dirty 23, he is able to slightly open one eye to see the ethereal, fuzzy cat brushing against his face. Argo speaks in low tones, pleading with the cat not to scratch his face. We establish that Fitzroy half-trances here, which is extremely unsettling. (laughs) So creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy because he has his eyes open the entire time. And he's only a half-elf. Yes, so... It's, I mean, it's all just a joke because half-elves don't half-trance. They just sleep like regular characters. They but this do. isn't... Yeah, no, because I've played half-elves before and they definitely don't have trance. Yeah, no, it's a common joke, though, in the D&D podcast I've listened to. Um, in Not Another D&D podcast, they have a half-elf who jokes about trancing so well that he trances for eight hours. <laughs> in Dimension 20, Fig Faith, who is a tiefling, but the half of her that isn't demonic is elf and she also makes jokes about trancing and here we are now with Fitzroy Maplecourt following in that same half trance sort of thing but his he sleeps straight up with his eyes open yeah it's very unsettling we also find out that the fear bulg is sleeping uh uncomfortably on these non-natural surfaces on the cold stone floor yeah poor fear bulg Fitzroy does an arcana check on the cat and rolls a nat one to which he then wonders what's going on with his dog here (laughs) The fear bull calls to the cat, and when he turns to look at him, he immediately states that the cat will not be reasoned with. Argo asks Gary for help, and he explains that they are the castle cats and commonplace here and will never attack a student. He informs the students that simply shooing away the cat is sufficient, and as it jumps off of Argo's face, it disappears. Travis points out that they should be in school because the three of them alone couldn't figure out how to get rid of a cat. <laughs> what is this? Day well, day one after orientation? Yeah, I think it would be probably immediately the next day. So yeah, they definitely need help if they can't get rid of a cat. Gary does his announcements and explains to the students uh, that they can go get some breakfast at the dining hall, that there are no secret passageways, and that students have caused a lot of property damage in their attempts to find them. Which is another callback to Hogwarts. Constant dunks. As well, that students can go to the bursar, Osric, to set up a line of credit to buy supplies over in Hope, 
without carrying money so they won't potentially be pickpocketed or targeted for robbery. Travis again clarifies that Garys are a hive mind, but with each of them having their own individual personalities. Here we have Griffin making a her reference. They kind of get into, well, if Gary's a hive mind, just like in the movie Her, maybe they'll fall in love with me. And Travis says this line that I love where he's like, Gary doesn't have time for love. He's all about business, which then immediately got me thinking about the pitch that I'm going to be making for the Gary Hallmark Christmas movie. What? Oh, my God. Uh, which is going to be a film where Gary, who's, you know, doing some big business deal. He's been working on this deal for the last five years. He's shirked all responsibilities he has no love life no friends right, barely right. a connection to his family yeah and he's on a flight out and it gets to, and it gets grounded in this small town oh no and in this small town he's just so mad because he's he's got this deal brewing and he's got to be out of this town in the next two days oh and he goes into a coffee shop and is ordering all this grunts he looks up and it's his childhood sweetheart that he thought he was in love with but they broke up because of something like gary going to college oh no and they slowly reconnect and gary ends up being forced to spend the holidays there and they reconnect (laughs) their relationship and fall in love and gary's partner teaches him the meaning of life love and christmas (sighs) and we find out that the coffee shop owner with Santa Claus well who also be in charge of the coffee shop and it's gonna be called Gar going home for the holidays um I need to know the release date of this because I'm definitely gonna be tuning in. Christmas 2022. 2022. It takes a lot to CGI a gargoyle. Okay, is his love interest a gargoyle? I cannot speak to that. Oh, okay. I don't know Gary well enough. Maybe in like episode eight, we're gonna get some deep dive into like his previous relationships where each of the Garys has each individually dated like Festo or something. I mean, I wouldn't put that past Festo. Yeah, exactly. But we also get this really funny moment where Clint kind of gives Griffin the business for being so attractive, where he's just like, well, maybe Gary wouldn't fall in love with you if you weren't so attractive. He's just jealous. He's jealous. Well, I mean, we've established everyone is very sexual in this campaign. I think except for the Fearbolg. Except for the Fearbolg. And I don't think Hieronymus or Hegelmus have been sexual well see i don't know i imagine hieronymus being like old man oh, attractive i know he's like handsome but he wasn't called out as being sexual whereas hernandez was called out for being attractive bartholomus was called out for being attractive tumblr is horny for him oh my god Who uh, knows? maybe fitzroy is his, is gary's love interest in your holiday film travis starts to get the students to head off to class but they kind of stop him real quick and they're like wait no we actually do want to go through the breakfast scene I love the breakfast scene. The breakfast scene is phenomenal. So we start off with Argo heading and getting some citrus, where here we establish that Argo mostly eats citrus because he has a terrifying fear of scurvy. Mm-hmm. Fitzroy and the Fearbulg make their way over as well. Fitzroy apologizes for his bad attitude yesterday, to which Argo guilt trips him about it. I think which, that's very big of Fitzroy, though. It is really big of Fitzroy, and then very small of Argo. Maybe this is him getting back for Fitzroy being no, such a jerk for yesterday. sure, for sure. Fitzroy also apologizes to the Fearbolg and asks again what is his name, trying out Derek this time, which justifiably the Fearbolg hates, as it quote-unquote turns to ash at his mouth. Sorry, Derek's. Apologies to any Derek's listening, but that sounds about right. Fitzroy asks why they joined the school. He explains that he didn't fail out of Clyde Knight's night-night school as much as he was forced to leave due to his magic. Argo explains that his dream, which has only been a dream of his as of late, is to be the sidekick for the naval hero, the Commodore. Mm -hmm. 
A Fearbulg is just looking to serve because he is nothing, as he says. Oh, man. Poor Fearbulg. Travis describes the bountiful and delicious sounding spread of breakfast before them. Argo clarifies that there is also an omelet bar. Before Fitzroy asks if there is also a crepe maker, there is not. There is not, and he's devastated. Fitzroy is distraught and asks if this school has anything. Which... There was a lot at breakfast. So much. Like, He's just Travis, such a snotty boy. Travis pulled out all the stops for his imaginary breakfast, except at which, crepes. Which he lets us know that he pulled out all the stops. He lets them know that he could have fed them gruel. Yeah. Before they leave, Travis makes a quick joke about how they didn't do anything to try to find clues or anything while they were eating breakfast and they missed the secret key. And then Argo just says that he bites into his lime and finds the hidden key. Have you ever eaten a lime like that? Rind and all. Just... Straight up, take a bite out of a lime. No, but I have never had a fear of scurvy, so I can't speak to that specifically. Okay, well, yeah, that's fair. Inside of his lime, he finds a key, which Travis lets him put in his inventory as the scurvy-free key. (laughs) So he has no more fear. You know, I actually kind of hope, I know it probably won't, but I hope, like, we're at the finale episode or something, and Argo asks, I have the scurvy-free key, and it, like, does something, even if it's something dumb, something fun. Oh, my. I mean, that would be super, super cool, but these boys have a tendency to forget the cool items in their inventory. 100%. Ugh. Balance flashbacks. So many cool items never used. Never. R.I.P. Cool magical items. Argo arrives to class slightly late. Leon is there. Rivo, the halfling blame-taking teacher, is also a little late and greets Argo. Rivo explains that parts of taking blame is to maintain the prestige of a side-slash-henches hero-slash-villain within a kingdom, which... It's so messed up. I imagine there are so many truly bad people out there who just hire excess henches and sides just to never be at fault for anything they do. I mean, maybe that's a violation of the Heroic Oversight Guild. It's possible, but I imagine if you're like the head of an Assassin's Guild or something, like theoretically you could be the hero and every assassin could be one of your like hench people. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about this world yet because it's episode two, but... Is there a limit to how many sidekicks or hench people you can have? You know, I mean, if Argo, I would assume that the Commodore has a sidekick, at least one. So Argo wanting to be his sidekick, at least to me, kind of denotes that you could have at least more than one. Or he's going to take out the other sidekick. Damn. Oh, my God. Travis explains that taking blame is any persuasion-y skill of your choice, which I like. As a DM, I'd personally have the person give me their blame speech first, and I'd determine what skill they'd use. But I don't think having them pick is a bad choice either. You sometimes let us pick. Yeah, I'll let you guys pick. But sometimes it's more like, based on that speech, that's more of a deception. That's more like, I'll let you guys pick. But if you guys really go off the rails, I will kind of correct it to where it should be. That's true. The students are tasked with taking blame for stealing a coin. Leon is up first and takes the blame by saying just how badly he wanted that glittery, glittery coin. So he took it, hit it, and will be spending it on alcohol later. What a bad boy. Leon is so adorable. (laughs) love him so much. I actually wrote in my notes that he's adorably competent because it's just competent enough. It's not like a great lie because he doesn't have that like honest cadence to it, but I think that's just because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we move on to another new student, Mimi, who claims she took the gold and is average at her description at best. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with her. Uh, she states that she took it because she, like everyone else, wants money. Then we move to Argo. Argo admits to taking the coin because he comes from a poor family and his mother passed away leaving him with nothing, and especially hard reality due to how expensive it is to attend this school. Argo rolls a 17 and does an especially convincing job and is actually praised by Rivo. He did a really good job. I, You could hear the emotion in Clint's voice when he was acting. I super bought it. 
Yeah, Clint is really flexing some RP traps here. I love it. He gives me like strong like addict vibes in a good way from yeah. Argo's blame taking. Mm -hmm. We move on to find out that Argo did not take the coin. Leon did. Much to Rivo's surprise. Well, I mean, Argo just did such a good job. I love that Leon kind of says like, I thought I was very convincing. Again, <laughs> best boy Leon. Best boy Leon. Blame taking class ends, but Rivo again stops Argo to praise him, to which Argo asks if he can have the coin now. Rivo explains that that's going to be a no. Here we move to one of my favorite scenes of this episode, which is the Fearbulg taking the accounting class. Oh my god, this was my favorite class. The accounting professor, a white owl Aarakocra named Bartholomus, which Tumblr is horny for, again, yes, enters the room and the vibe is electric. Travis established that accounting is immensely important to the hero-villain world, and the students here are adequately excited for that. Everyone is basically just excited to be in a class taught by the best accountant in the world. Mm-hmm. Very unrealistic. Well... For our world, world, for yeah, our world, for our world, that is unrealistic. For their world, important as heck. In our world, accounting is still super boring, but in this world, it's lit. Bartholomew explains the importance of accounting and how poorly handled the world was before the golden age of accounting. He explains that basically everyone spent all their money and became destitute. Then accounting really became a focus. But it became such a focus for literally everyone that the world became entirely boring. This is where the hero and villain society came to be. We find out that they were almost essentially a form of entertainment to re-liven up the world after everyone had become so boring due to accounting. Yeah, which we've mentioned it's it sounds super performative and this just confirmed it. I really love the energy of heroes and villains again mean almost nothing in terms of title and it's all just a spectacle more than anything exactly as well heroes and villains kind of took on the specialization of the skill of accounting mostly their sidekick and hench people to keep track of their spending the fear bug explains that he knows nothing of accounting and doesn't understand why one person would want more than the others which shocks bartholomus with his sweet bird in heaven <laughs> um we stand a communist king i love that the fear bug doesn't understand property that makes sense with his nature inclination. Bartholomew explains the benefit of the system, basically capitalism. The fear bulg, when told he owns his clothes, says he would gladly give them to Bartholomew if he asked, kind of mooting Bartholomew's point. The fear bulg keeps not understanding the quote-unquote basic accounting concepts, to which Bartholomew swears to make him his opus, and that in five years, when the fear bulg leaves, he will be a master accountant. We get some amazing RP from Justin here. Oh my god. I love the way he plays out his headaches with like the, there is a splitting. <laughs> the Fearbulg literally cannot fathom the concepts and is getting insane headaches. I love the, I also love the, there is a sound of clanging. <laughs> uh, I mean, Griffin was also like losing his mind during this and he was laughing so hard. Yeah. I was having a great time listening to everyone enjoying Justin's scene with Travis. So good. Did you like this scene or the Pegasus scene? better oh god i love the pegasus scene more because it means more to the story mm -hmm. i mean at the end of the day this is just like school mini game you know That's as opposed true. to the pegasus thing was like here have some plot threads this is just hey he took an accounting class huh but accounting is super important yes. so the fear bulb is so confused that he convinces bartholomus to restructure his syllabus i love that as a former student that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have a teacher that is so good that he's like, he's basically trying to teach beginner concepts and he's learning that there is a level even below that. Mm -hmm. And rather than be frustrated, he's like, 
I want to make this accessible for you and I want you to become good at it. That's true. I haven't thought about that. That's A plus. That's A plus teacher. Yeah, Bartholomew's best teacher. No wonder Tumblr is so crazy for him. So horny for him. (laughs) Tumblr is horny for good educators. Pass it on. Pass it on. Hi, everyone. It's me, PJ, your decent acquaintance and guide through the world of graduation. I want to thank everyone, first and foremost, for the response to our first episode. While we're not sitting in the pantheon of podcast greats just yet, we had far more listeners than we ever anticipated for our debut episode. Thank you to everyone who stumbled upon us, and an especially big thanks to anyone who told their friends about us. Speaking of stumbling upon us, we would really love it if you engage with us on our social medias. You can find us on Twitter, at TalkinTaz. You can find us on Facebook, also at TalkinTaz, or by searching for TalkinTaz Podcast. Or find us on our website at talkin-taz.pinecast.co for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. Links to all of that will be in the show notes for this episode. A few notes from this episode. We experienced a lot of audio issues while recording, and I did my best to clean everything up in post, but I apologize for any remaining artifacts or lingering dog barks. London just really wanted to join in on the podcast. We'll do what we can to ensure we give you an even better product next week. The Amnesty album to which I refer to later in the episode as Radio Silence is actually called Radio Quiet, a much more creative name. Please check out Griffith's Bandcamp for that album and even more amazing albums to follow. We hope you'll join us again next Thursday and every following Thursday for our next episode as we continue to listen through graduation. Now back to the podcast. As the accounting class ends, an announcement goes out over Gary by Jimson and Crush that Rainier, Zena, Rhodes, Pip, Rolandis, Leon, Buckminster, Dip, Argo, Fitzroy, Mimi, and Master Fierbolg will need to meet at the field to practice cooperative defense, or as Crush interrupts to clarify, human shield training. <laughs> that is a lot of names. There are so many people in this campaign already. It's so much for taking notes. <laughs> Everyone shows up after lunch to the battlegrounds, and there is a red line down the middle of the field with some balls on each side. Crush and Jimson are here as well as Ramos, who we now know is the Goliath shieldwork teacher that we met last episode without actually meeting. Fitzroy would like to test out of this class as he studied shield work at Clyde Knights, which is dismissed quickly by Jimson. Crush explains the rules of the game in which the heroes attack the opposing side while their hench slash side defend. We really need to come up with a better term. I'm saying hero, villain, hench side a lot. And it's it's a little bit of a tongue twister sometimes. It, that, it is a lot of words. Like you have to come up with a celebrity like couple name for all of it well okay so heroes and villains we could have heathens <laughs> or velos oh i like velos uh and then for hench people hench person and sidekick we could have like hench kicks or <laughs> side like... person okay side person has my vote hench kick sounds like something so that could velos be and side person <laughs> welcome to hieronymus wiggenstaff school for velos and side persons <laughs> i really like side persons i really do We'll see if we can keep that straight. We probably won't. Argo is paired with Rhodes. Fitzroy is paired with Rainier. And Rainier calls Fitz here, which uh, he quietly corrects. Very quietly, just Fitzroy Maple Court. <laughs> Leon is with Buckminster. Dip is with Pip. Mimi is with Zena. And Master Fearbog is with Rolandis. Zena is a tiefling sorcerer and is a little disappointed to be matched with Mimi, the gnome, due to their height difference. Understandably kind of worrying that She's a little too short to block a ball heading her way. Yeah, for human shield training, you'd want someone at least your size. If not bigger. Yeah. 
Mimi responds by pulling out mechanical arms that give her an extended reach, which impresses Fitzroy, who asks if he can have a pair. Mimi lets him know that he can commission a pair, and Fitzroy states that his people will be in contact with her people, but he more so wanted it for this specifically. Travis points out that obviously it would take... Well, Travis, as Mimi, points out that it would have taken materials, time, and a commission fee. This stuff doesn't just come from nowhere. Right. That's such an artist response. Artist supporting artists. Heck yes. We move to Rainier and Fitzroy. Rainier calls Fitzroy Fitz, which he again quietly corrects before the conversation moves forward. Rainier is low-key flirting with Fitzroy here, mm-hmm. and I love it, and I ship it. You ship it. I ship it. I know you don't, but I do. I don't. I, it's not anything against either of them. I just don't see them romantically together. I can't wait. your head at me. Nope. I'm already in love with them. I mean, more power, more power to you. The PCs talk with their partners. Rolanda states his strategy to just hide behind the much larger Fearbulg, while Rhodes tells Argo not to get in his way, which leads to a lot of confusion considering his job is to be in his way. That's a very good point from Quid. We learn that Dip and Pip are half-orc twins, so one is a hero and one is a sidekick. Griffin points out that that probably creates a lot of drama within the family. Which it would, right? Oh, 100%. I don't even know if it would be even just a jealousy thing. It could even be like the reverse, like where... Because we don't learn who is the hero and who is the sidekick. No, we don't. So it could even be like, hey, I'm Pip, the sidekick, but I've always looked up to my twin brother, Dip, but somehow I got placed in the hero track and he got placed in the sidekick track and I feel uncomfortable with it. I mean, that's going to lead to a lot of very awkward family holiday meals. Although Hieronymus and Higglemus are brothers. Yeah, but they're not twins. It's true. Twins is a different relationship. Yeah. I mean, and her, Higglemiss is the little brother, so it makes sense that he would be the sidekick. Don't that he would be. be the sidekick. It'd be cool if like it was opposite, but... I'm sure it exists out there. Oh, for sure. The game of dodgeball goes by as one would expect. Fearbulg assists Rolandis by casting Jump on them, allowing him to eliminate Pip and Dip pretty much right away. Argo assists Rhodes by creating a site for assistance and rolls a nat 20 on his encouragement check. Heck yes. But Fitzroy handily blocks Rolandis' throw. And everything kind of goes downhill when Fitzroy attempts to assist Rainier with Mage Hand. But due to his untrained magic, he casts Thunderwave instead, much to Fitzroy's horror. As a player, that's such a, a really cool move to pull on Griffin's part, where his character doesn't know what's happening, but Griffin as the player is saying, this is what I would like to happen. So yeah, really especially because wild magic is a thing. And, I'm, you know, we learn that he is a wild magic barbarian. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, he could have just tried to go for Mage Hand and seen what effect it was, but I think Thunderwave was the right story beat. Yes. And I'm glad that Travis let him have it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that moment. It affects everyone, though the teachers are able to avoid the wave pretty handily. Rainier and Buckminster save. Rhodes fails, but Argo throws himself in the way and takes the damage for him instead. He does. Which impresses Rhodes a lot. Fearbulg crit succeeds and takes no damage due to his sturdy nature. The teachers call the class here, and Fitzroy, with no prompting, states he was attempting to cheat. He just immediately gives up the ghost. He was so nervous. Well, I mean, if he's been a hero this whole time at Clyde Knights. That is true. He would have a lot bigger sense of honor, I guess. Yeah, he's been training to be a knight for a while. Yeah. They regard that obviously that wasn't Mage Hand before praising Argo for his human shield work. It was pretty impressive. The party heads off to get drinks at the tavern, but Fitzroy is instructed to meet with Festo instead. He has this very funny line here where he says, uh, none of this would have happened if you had just let me test out of shield work. I'm not placing blame on anybody. This isn't the class for that, but I'm just saying. (laughs) He would have to take blame. He's in the side person track. Yeah. 
Fitzroy is set to meet with his independent study of magic teacher, Festo, who is a fairy. Heck yes, Festo. Griffin says that Festo was featured in the trailer, which made me go back and rewatch the trailer. Mm-hmm. And can I just say Festo, after listening to this episode and then rewatching the trailer, isn't at all what I imagined Festo looking like. They are not at all what I envisioned. I can't even tell you what I envisioned, but it definitely wasn't just like a cute little fairy. In like a super, I don't know, like the dress threw me off for some reason. Yeah. I don't want to ascribe a gender to Festo. No. People can dress however they want. Exactly. But I didn't imagine Festo presenting feminine. I, I don't know. Yeah, same. The dress was just, it was super, super like simple girly. And I anticipated more, I don't know, just not not that. Can I also say, watching the trailer again, it was really interesting to see the visuals of some of this stuff. Like, I imagine the sidekick and henchperson annex was bad, but the trailer really shows you how bad it is. It's so bad. It's like literally a ramshackle like hut on like stilts attached to the school, to and the... And this is the original Anna. It's like literally falling apart. We do also get to see a few other things, though. When we see the Unknown Forest, we actually see those red eyes from the first episode. Yeah, we do. And we also see Bartholomus. Who, I mean, okay. Oh I my get God, it. do you think that's why people are horny on Tumblr for him? Because he makes that joke in the first episode, and I was like, what a weird thing. No one even knows Bartholomus. But maybe when that trailer came out, everyone was like, who's this sexy owl? That's true. I mean, he is. He is beautiful. Yeah, he is. He's a very regal owl. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even think of that till literally just now. Maybe actually Tumblr was going that's Apparently. And just finally, we haven't talked about it in any of the episodes yet, so I think talking about it with the trailer is perfect. The music for this arc is so phenomenal. It's so beautiful. Griffin's become such an accomplished composer over the course of the Adventure Zone, and this shows just how good he's become literally while editing this podcast i've started getting into the habit of listening to his band camp just having it on play and just listening through it really i especially love the music he made for amnesty i've been re-listening to that the isn't it the monster in the water or something like that monster in the water is the second album i'm trying to remember the name of the first album it's like it's not radio silence but it's something like i'll remember i'll put it in the ad break Yep. But back to the story. As Fitzroy arrives, the classroom is empty before a little ball of light zips across the room and lands in front of him, becoming the 1.5 foot Festo, who has beautiful gossamer wings. Festo has such a good voice. This is A plus voice work from Travis. Yeah, I love Festo. And Festo just has this amazing chaotic energy that I love so much. From the get go. Like, literally, as soon as Fitzroy is like, I cast magic i wasn't planning to when i hurt all these people and it's so terrible and festo starts laughing they think it's amazing and when fitzroy is very appropriately like i don't think it was a thing worth laughing about he's like did anyone die no then it's funny then it's funny he states he is here to help fitzroy get a grasp on his magic fitzroy tries to describe his wild magic a little bit to festo just kind of saying i can't get a hold of it you don't know what i'm capable of i don't know what i'm capable of and festo kind of takes it as a threat and basically is like bring it on I mean, Festo could definitely take Fitz. Fitzroy confides in Festo his disappointment that his magic has made him lose sight of his dream to become a knight. He asks Festo if he had ever had a dream or an ambition, and Festo says that he never has because fairies live in the moment, and all he wants to do is party. Fitzroy asks if he's a real teacher or like a teacher's aide, and Festo reveals that he is a full-fledged teacher with tenure. So far, the only teacher that we know of that has tenure. Fitzroy finally tells us the full story about what happened at Clyde Knight's Night Night School. He was in his final semester, training directly under the headmaster, Sylvia Knight. So clearly, 
he had not only been at the school for a long time, but he was clearly very promising. Yeah. And he was training directly under the, I guess, the head teacher? The dean? The headmaster. The headmaster. So basically, like, Harry training under Dumbledore. So it, would it be headmistress, though? Because she's Sylvia Knight? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But unfortunately, that is when his wild magic manifested, and he turned her into a catfish, at which point he was removed from the academy. He jokingly says, I catfished her, which I immediately was like, oh, God, no, Fitzroy, I know you're the sexual boy, but please don't try to sleep with your headmaster. Right? Yeah, I thought the same. But then he quickly, like, corrects it to what it actually was. And I was like, oh, thank God. Literal catfish, not the catfishes we know today. Yes. Fitzroy states that he feels shame for his magic, to which Festo states he must learn to love his magic. Fitzroy demonstrates his magic for Festo by creating a shower of sparks, to which Festo notes that his magic is sad because it knows he does not love it. Festo wants Fitzroy to stop seeing his magic as a curse and instead as something to work with. Festo places something in Fitzroy's palm, which allows him to cast Find Familiar. So we get the amazing joke. It's a familiar, but not too familiar. From My Brother, My Brother and Me, the McElroy's very first podcast. Which if you do not listen to it for whatever reason, which I get, there's a lot of people that either just listen to Mabim Bam, but not The Adventure Zone, or just The Adventure Zone and not Mabim Bam. They're so perfect together that I would just recommend you listen to both. Yeah, I would too. They're both they're both really funny for different reasons. Fitzroy casts Find Familiar and gets a crab familiar. Which he chose. Which he chose. He gets the ability to pick one of several animals and he even learns that he can change it moving forward, but he chooses a crab to start off with. Do you think he's going to change it? I don't know. Crab is so perfect. I love a little crab. It fits him really well. Fitzroy facetiously pretends to love his crab, which Festo rightfully calls out as performative. <laughs> uh, I do love here too Festo's little like beach, 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 which I kind of wish was actually the crab saying that and not Festo, because I would love the crab just walking around being like beach, 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 beach. You missed this because you stopped going on TikTok a while ago. Okay, but the I love my sweet crab. No, you weren't faking it. Like that whole exchange Mm -hmm. became a very popular TikTok audio. It did? Yeah, it just would become things like, so it'd be like my boyfriend telling me that he loves me with the like, I love my sweet crab. And then you are lying. Like you are, (laughs) that is performative. And it it, it was really funny. It it became popular even outside of like D&D and the Adventure Zone TikTok, just into like mainstream TikTok. It was a fun time getting to listen to that Taz audio a lot because it is one of my favorite bits. That audio misses one of my favorite moments from this bit which is the way that Festo says, you are a liar. Yes, I love that line. I don't know what it is about it, but it hits my funny bone in such a special way. Travis delivers it just perfectly. Yeah, I had to literally re-listen to it several times just to get all the laughs out. Because <laughs> it's so true, it's so genuine, it has very good small energy. It's perfect. Yeah. Fitzroy apologizes and swears to try to learn to love his magic before Festo dismisses himself to go to a party. Which I love the little exchange here where Festo's like, Festo has to go to a party now. Can I come? (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. Not even a yes or a no. And I know it's just a funny little bit for them, but for like me who has like such intense FOMO all the time, I was like, oh my God, my heart, that hurts. (laughs) I feel that. This kind of ties back to orientation day where Fitzroy straight up went to the teacher's table to sit with them. And now he wants to like go to a party with a teacher. Damn teacher's pet i mean he was studying under the headmaster he's a general teacher's pet everywhere he goes pass it on pass it on fitzroy tries to abandon the crab immediately after festo leaves but it follows him so sad so sad but it follows him it's very cute yeah 
Fitzroy rejoins everyone at the tavern, where they're all a little miffed at Fitzroy still for the incident at the training. Understandably. He apologizes, though, and they go back to their business. Argo is tasked with getting the next round of drinks. Argo goes up to the bar and asks for the cheapest thing they have, because I love that he's worried about spending money, and then Travis is very much like, you have credit, you can pay it off later, which is so the two sides of my brain when it comes to spending money. (laughs) As he waits for his drinks, Argo is greeted by a voice, and he turns to see the Kenku sneaker teacher, sneakery teacher, my bad, Jackal, who he would have sworn was not there a second ago. Mm-hmm. Jackal states that he knows about Argo, and that he is not exactly what he seems. This wrestles Argo, and Argo asks if they can have this conversation privately, to which Jackal says they will talk and discuss Mariah later. Which, who's Mariah? Mariah Carey. Mariah, oh, they're going to talk about Mariah Carey. Yeah. Oh. Argo is obsessed with Mariah Carey. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, he has a Mariah Carey, like, he has a Mariah Carey cover band. Have you ever listened to, like, pirate punk? I have not. It's like Celtic punk or any other genre of punk where it's this very, like, heavy sea shanty covers oh. of other songs. Okay, yes, I do know it. Yeah, Argo has a Mariah Carey pirate punk band. And, and he's gonna Jackal talk to is straight up a fan. Jackal is their number one fan. Oh, my God. Argo was able to pay rent one year entire year because of jackal's purchases whoa oh man this changes so much yeah he's just a big stan (laughs) what is what's his band called it's called mariah carry me onto the waves (laughs) honestly i've already subscribed (laughs) but when jackal brings up the name mariah this further rustles argo's jimmies but he is interrupted as zayna comes back around and suddenly jackal is gone leaving only a napkin with two overlapping water rings and the writing rain and stone. I'm so suspicious now of both of them. 100%. They both have secrets here. Yeah, which I mean, I guess for a sneakery teacher, it makes sense that they're mysterious and Argo is a roguey rogue. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense for both of their characters, but I am like, what's happening here? Yeah, especially with like the Fearbolg and Fitzroy who seem to be so much more upfront and open yes and no i mean it took us a while to finally find out fitzroy's full story and even then it was only because he told it to one teacher that's true argo takes a napkin puts it away and heads back to the group with the drinks as he finds fitzroy trying to find a name for his familiar who is now snacking on some pretzels he also asks the fearbolg if he has thought of any new names and the fearbolg comes up with the name ippy (laughs) for a moment which is so dumb and so funny, that's but he so... immediately is like, no, no, that's not it. Absolutely not. No. As the group chats about names, the scene fades out, and that is where we will end this episode of Graduation. Oh, it was so, it was really interesting. Yeah, I had a lot of fun learning about some of the characters. It was really interesting finally knowing Fitzroy's backstory with what happened at Clyde Knights. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to get a little bit of intrigue with what's the secret with Argo. Yeah. I'm very curious where this is going to go from here. Exactly. Yeah. Same. Unfortunately, that is going to be it for us this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you'll join us again next Thursday for our next episode when we are once again talking Taz. I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. Tune in next week.